belong. Um, if you don't know what that is, uh, what you do is you download version on your uh, on your smartphone, and once you do that, go to uh, the little tab on the side, click on events, there'll be a little um, search bar, type in Vision Ministries Toledo, will pop up, will be on the top, and then it'll look just like this. If, you, if you're on this page, you got to the right spot. So there we go. All right. If you're taking, if you're taking notes, the title of this message is called The First Rivalry. Yes way. The First Rivalry. If you got your Bibles or your, or your reading device, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. It will also be on the screens. You can follow right along. And we're going to be talking about the very first rivalry. Now, when we say rivalry, we're not talking about uh, good old-fashioned healthy rivalry, like if you're an Ohio State fan in here or a Michigan fan in here. Any, if you're an Ohio State fan, raise your hand. If you're a Michigan fan, yeah. I.O. If you're a Michigan fan, raise your hand. Okay, there's, there's a few Michigan fans. Okay, now, in our rivalry, it's just a lot of smack talk. We'll talk a lot of smack, but at the end of the day, we, for the most part, get along. Unless you're like this, unless you're like an extreme, extreme um, fan, and, and, and you're willing to, to hurt people over your fandom. But I wish, I'll tell you what, man, if we had the passion for Christ that people had for sports, man, the world would be turned upside down. So we, so we have fun with our rivalry, but friends, we're going to talk about a rivalry that didn't turn out so well, and it was a rivalry between brothers. And so if you in here, if you've ever had uh, uh, a sibling, maybe an older brother or a younger brother or older sister or younger sister, perhaps maybe you kind of felt some tension like that growing up, a little bit of rivalry. Maybe you felt favoritism or maybe you were the favorite. But uh, we're going to read about the very first rivalry here in Genesis chapter 4 and how that turned out. Many of us have read this before or we've heard about it before, but we're just going to be refreshed today. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 17. And this is what it says. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So this is kind of cool for her because uh, Eve little side note here, Eve understands that it was God that created man, and so for her, this was an honor for her to say, I've just done the exact same thing that God has done. That's why she said, I've, I've brought forth man. She's like, with the help of the Lord. So, so she was excited about, about this opportunity that she did the exact same thing that God has done. little side note there. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. To the, uh, excuse me, worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering. Remember these things: fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Just remember those little details. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Another translation would say, you must 
master it. Love that. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, you could just you can hear the cockiness in that response to the Lord. <laughs> I don't know, I'd never talk to God like that, but that's pretty cocky. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Friends, the uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the serpent. And then Genesis chapter 4, this is the first time we see where a man receives a curse because of, of his wickedness. Okay, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, which you worked the ground. It will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer to the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He understands two things. Number one, he's going to be driven from his family and from his land, and he's going to be driven from the presence of the Lord. Let's continue on here. But the Lord said, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain then built a a, a city and named it after his son Enoch. And we're going to end right there. So we see here, we have Cain, who is the oldest brother, and he has the exact same job as his father Adam. What does he do? He tends the ground. Correct? And then his younger brother, Abel, his responsibility was to take care of the livestock. So, Scripture says over the course of time that they brought an offering to the Lord. God looks at Abel's offering favorably. It doesn't necessarily say that God rejects Cain's offering, but it does say that he did not look at Cain's offering with favor. Now, it didn't say he rejected it. It just said he didn't look at it with favor. And even though he didn't look at it with favor, Cain still took that as rejection. Friends, how often is it that the Lord will, will, will relent or maybe he'll even pull his hand away from us for a season because perhaps there's something that needs to be brought into alignment and we receive that as rejection. God wasn't rejecting Cain. God uh, gave, uh, gave uh, favor to, to Abel's offering and we're going to uh, understand why here in just a moment. So Cain becomes angry when he sees that his brother gets favor from God and murders his own brother. It's the first homicide that we see in between brothers. There's a term that describes this situation um, where uh, if a person kills their own brother or their own sister, and, uh, and it's called fratricide, and that's exactly what happens here. So this is the sad thing, is that Cain becomes the very first villain in Scripture. We're talking about heroes and zeros. Two weeks ago I talked about how how a villain usually isn't born a villain, but usually when you, uh, if, you've, if, you, if you follow comic book movies or if you follow uh, any kind of superhero uh, and there's a superhero and a supervillain, they ne- they're never born an evil seed. There's usually what happens is there's 
uh, they, there's usually a backstory where all of these things happened and then the person started acting in their own self-will and out of that they became this you know, evil villain. Well, that's exactly what happens here with Cain. Cain wasn't born a villain. Cain was born in the image of God, but he allowed his anger and his jealousy to turn him into a villain. And so we have the very first villain in chapter 4. Are you getting this? Because he let his anger and his jealousy rule over him. One commentary would even say that Cain murders out of hatred towards God, but he directs his anger towards his brother. Really, he was angry at God, but the only way that he can't take out his anger on God, so he had to take it out on his brother. And that does happen oftentimes. I've often asked the question, I don't know if you've ever read this, and, and I've often asked the question, and uh, well, why did God show favor to Abel's gift and not to Cain's? Has anybody, has anyone here, well, you know, well, what, why? Come on, raise your hand, I've asked this question. Well, why? You know, why, why did God show favor to one and not show it to the other? Isn't that favoritism? Well, not necessarily. Well, some might even look at it and they, and they would see the content of the offering and they would say, well, it's because God prefers animal sacrifice over food sacrifice. Some people, you know, they would think that. You know, they'd look at the content. Well, you know, God, he liked animal sacrifice, so he favor on that other than the food sacrifice. No, that's not necessarily so. Friends, because when you understand the, even the, the law of Moses in the Old Testament, God sets up grain offerings and crop, crop offerings, and these are absolutely acceptable to the Lord. Okay? So it's not the content of the offering. What, what would cause God to reject an offering? What would cause God to look at favor at one and not favor at the other? Friends, it is the one thing. It's the attitude of the heart. It's always the attitude of the heart. If the Lord doesn't receive something, it's because the attitude behind it is all wrong. And we kind of see this just in a few verse, in a few verses, verse three and verse four. It said that Cain brought some of the fruit. When we understand the law of Moses, we were supposed to, he was supposed to bring the first fruits. Scripture says he brought some of the fruit. So what is he doing? He's giving a half-hearted offering to God. Yet, Abel, it says that he brought what? Fat portions from what? The firstborn, the best and the strongest of his flock. So why would God look at favor upon the one and not favor on the other? Because it's about the attitude of the heart. That's why you can have people come to church and some people receive and and leave here changed and other people come in the exact same atmosphere, in the exact same church, sit in the exact same pew and leave here unchanged. It's because of the attitude, friends. We see this in scripture. We see that there are there are two there are there's a servant and um I don't know uh, there's a there's a man uh, who's a powerful man of God and and so he's prophesying and and because he's prophesying, some of the enemies of Israel think that, that he must be some sort of spy. So they send a whole army of people to go and to, uh, and it was, his name was Elijah, to, to get Elijah and to kill him. And so, so he's, so, so this whole army is coming after Elijah. Elijah's not, he's not scared at all, but his servant is, is, is absolutely terrified. And he's like, oh my gosh, we have this whole army. They're coming to kill us. And he's, and so what is, so Elijah and his servant are sitting in the exact same place. They, they, they see the exact same thing, but yet Elijah's heart is open to the things of God. And so what does he say? He says, Lord, allow your servant's eyes to be open. And what happened? 
his eyes, the, the servant's eyes were open, and he said chariots. He saw uh, uh, servants of flaming fire that were, uh, that were as far as he could see, and they were what? They were protecting him. But see, one man had his eyes open to the things of God, and one man had his focus and his attention on the things of this world and the things of man. So see, friends, you can have two people in the, ex- in the exact same place. One uh, is, is connecting with God, and one isn't. And friends, and that's exactly what's happening. You have two brothers. They're born of the same mother and father. One is giving a half-hearted offering and the other one's giving his best. And so God shows favor on what? On the one that gives his best. The scripture says that we're to love the Lord our God, not with some of our heart, some of our mind, part of our, part of our strength and, and, and a little bit of, of, of whatever is left over. Give God your leftovers. No, friends. Jesus said that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Lord has called us to give all in our best to Him, not the leftovers. But see, all too often here in the church, we give God the leftovers. Anybody here like to eat leftovers? I like leftovers, but but I know there's a lot of people that don't like leftovers. Why? Because when you eat the meal, when it's first prepared, it's what? It's the first, it's the best, it's the freshest. Then when you put it in the refrigerator and, and then you try to pull it out, some people just don't like leftovers. Well, well, if we don't like leftovers, what do we think God likes leftovers? Come on, somebody. Somebody say amen. Cain brought some of the first fruits. Abel brought his best. So what would cause a man to just give part of his heart? What would cause a man to give just some of his offering? Not to give his best. When a person, what would cause a man just to give some of his heart? When we're called to love him with all of our heart. One word is three letters. Sin. Friends, when we have sin, it's hard to connect with God. Because... God, God is a God. He's going to obviously draw near to us. But if we're coming before Him like everything's good and we don't humble ourselves and there's sin there, friends, the Lord isn't going to extend His favor towards us. It's one of the reasons why I asked us this morning to, to come up and, and make an altar. What are we doing? We're humbling ourselves before God saying, God, I want to come and I want you to be the first and, and the, the best of, of my life today again, God. I want to come back to my first love. For those of us who've responded, so awesome. Now, it doesn't say directly, but we can conclude that Cain's angry reaction, that his reaction was because this man had sin in his heart. And actually, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, New Testament has some scriptures that kind of bring some clarity because we read the, we read, we read the story, it's kind of vague, but, there are, but the Lord brought an inspiration through Hebrews and through Jude and even through Jesus. And we're going to read these in just a minute here. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says this. It says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. What is that saying? That Abel gave an offering and he was in right standing with God. If his offering was better and he was a righteous man, what would that make Cain? Why would there be a comparison? Because he was an unrighteous man. Are you getting this? And not only that, Jesus calls Abel the first martyr. He says this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 33 through 36. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He's calling them blind, hypocrites, and snakes. <laughs> If you think if you think I can preach a hard message or Pastor Joy has ever preached a hard message, friends, you didn't walk with Jesus. 
Because Jesus will love on people. Man, he'll put his hands on people. On, on, he'll put his hands right there on the, on the, on the ones that were leprous and, and nobody would even want to be around. But then, man, he would bring the most harshest corrections. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've never been called a snake or a hypocrite well. or a brood of a viper. <laughs> but this is Jesus. And he's rebuking the Pharisees. Why? Not because they're, not because they're righteous. But because they're having, they have the exact same attitude as Cain. They're giving, you know, their heart is far from God. They're about power. They're about prestige. I mean, Jesus, anytime Jesus brings a correction, it's not just to rebuke them just because, just because he wants to smack somebody down. Because he feels like he just needs to tell somebody about themselves. No, when Jesus brings a correction, it's because he, he understands and he's reading the attitude of their hearts. How often did people come before him and Jesus, and it said, and Jesus knew their intentions? And you say, why are you trying to trap me? So Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, and this is a harsh rebuke. Okay? Why is Jesus rebuking the Pharisees? Because he wanted them to repent of their ways, and this is what he calls them. He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape from being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in the synagogues and pursue them from town to town. He's talking about exactly what they're going to do. They had murder in their heart. They were murdering followers of Christ. And he's telling them that they're going to do this, knowing that they're going to do this. And so upon you we come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. He says the blood of righteous Abel, the first martyr, was martyred for what? For giving an offering that was pleasing to God and being in right standing with God. And what happened? The religious spirit, even all the way back then, did not like the genuine and and was jealous and angry about it and slew his own brother. And it's that same religious spirit that slew Christ and that slew Stephen. And it was that same religious spirit that had a Paul bound when he was when he was on his way persecuting Christians before he got set free by the power of, of God. Friends, Abel understood sacrifice and being in right standing, so his attitude and his actions were pleasing to God. Friends, we need to ask ourselves, is our attitude and our actions pleasing to God? If not, friends, we need to consider Cain. It's interesting to me that even Abel's name means son of, son of Adam, or it also means emptiness, something transitory and unsatisfactory, being that Abel's life is snuffed from the earth by the hand of his own brother. His, his name means empty. It was almost like a life that was just meaningless, but God knew it wasn't meaningless. You see, friends, Cain came to God on his own self-prescribed terms. But Abel came to God on God's terms. That's why we get the words fat and firstborn. Micah spoke about such sacrifices in Micah chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. And this is what Micah says. Micah talks about these sacrifices that don't really mean much to God. He says, Will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You can give all these things, but this is what God really wants. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What's more pleasing to God? You giving 10,000 rams, you giving 10,000 gallons of oil, or you living humbly 
Acting justly, loving mercy. And it's hard to do. That's why, Christ, that's why heaven is such an uh, extravagant prize to be won. It's not for the faint heart. Why would God have such a beautiful prize at the end of our life for us? Because it's not easy. Friends, it's the ones, you know, the ones that walk away from, from the Olympic gold, me- uh, with, with gold medals weren't the ones that, that half-heartedly gave themselves at the race. It's the ones that gave all that they could. And at that moment gave their very best. And they're the ones who walk away with gold. And friends, if we want to walk away on streets of gold, we gotta give our best. And we gotta give our all. Jesus told the Pharisees, just like how Micah says, Micah says that we are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He says, you give the tenth of your, your, your dill, mitt, and coming, yet you neglect the former matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He's re- rebuking the Pharisees. You've got all these religious duties down. Man, you come to church faithfully, you pray, you give, but yet your heart is far from me. Man, I, I, and then Jesus, he even quotes Isaiah. He says, he says, your hearts are far from me and in vain you worship me. What is God? Why, why would he say things like this? Because friends, it's all too often that people can be in the very presence of God and still give half-heartedly. We, and it's the beginning with Cain. Friend, God desires a right attitude and a right heart before Him. A hero like Abel has a right heart attitude, and a zero like Cain has sin in his heart. A hero has a right heart attitude. Friends, Cain's spirit was arrogant, and his latter actions reveal this. Jude has some words to say about Cain. Talking about false teachers and people who lead others astray, Jude says... In uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, there really is no chapter 1, it's only one chapter. And he's talking about people that are leading people astray, and this is what he says. He says, yet these people slander what they do not understand. And the very things that they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed to profit in Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Kor's rebellion. They have taken the way of Cain. What's the way of Cain? It's giving a half-hearted offering and then slaying your brother when he does better than you. The way of Cain, the corruption and slide of heart away from God into notorious sin. Yet, friends, Cain had a choice. The amazing thing about God is God intervenes before uh, the incident of murder. In verse 7, God says, Sin desires to have you. You must master it. Hebrew, you must rule over it. God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God told him that, you know what? You can be, you can have a favorable offering as well. What was God doing? God was, was granting Cain another opportunity to receive favor from him. And even giving, and even giving him warning of what was to happen. God in his great mercy warns Cain, giving him this picture of this beast ready to pounce on his prey. And, he, and he, what does he say? He says sin it stands at the door and, and it's, it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. And so what is that? It, God in his, in his beauty is trying to give Cain a picture of this animal that's ready to attack his prey and that it was right there waiting for him. Friends, the thing is that sin cannot force itself upon us. We can't say the devil made me do it. Can't have that excuse any longer. (laughs) Friends, when we sin, it's because we want to do it. It's because we want it. We want it and we give into it. 
The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You wanted it. (laughs) You know you wanted it. Friends, we opened the door. God shows this picture. Sin is at the door waiting. We open it. It's interesting that sin waits at the door of our hearts in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. But also there's someone else that stands at the door and knocks in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And it's Jesus. He stands at the door of our heart as well. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat uh, with that person and they with me. So, so friends, uh, the door of our heart, uh, the, the knob is in our hands. We open it. So there's, there's two things that are sitting at the door of our hearts wanting to come in and, and, and rule in our life. And it's a matter of us. It's up to us who we're, we're, we will allow to rule. We will allow sin to rule or we're going to allow Jesus to rule. We open the door. The only one that can close the door to sin in your life is you. I can't preach it out of your life. Your mama can't pray it out of your life. Come on. That's the truth. Come on, some people in here are still writing on their mom's prayers. It's time for you to, to, to start standing up as the man of God and the woman of God He's called you to do. Okay, yeah, yeah, your mom's prayers are to empower you, absolutely. But friends, we are the ones that close the door. We're the ones that stop it. I can't do it for you. Only you can do it for you. Man, if I could make decisions for people, I've been slamming doors of sin in people's lives for a long time. I've tried, it don't work. I'll slam the door, I'll stand in the door, I'll get in front of in somebody's face. They still sin later on. They do what they want to do. Like, psh, there ain't nothing I can do. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend myself to want for you more than you want for yourself. I just can't. I learned that hard early. <laughs> when people want sin, they get it. Jesus doesn't force you not to sin. <laughs> I can't either. I've tried. <laughs> I have. Being honest. Friends, the choice is ours which door we're going to open. Friends, if we allow sin, then we will be ruled by our emotions, jealousy, rejection, and anger. Eventually, we in the house of God will murder our own brothers and sisters in Christ through gossip and slander, giving way to the same religious spirit that crucified Christ. And we see that happen in the church all over. Friends, I know this is a tough and a hard word, but friends, we need to learn from Cain. Because, friends, if we don't learn from Cain, we'll find ourselves following in the, in the, and maybe not to the extent where we, where we physically murder, even though that can be an outcome. But we'll find ourselves having jealousy, having anger, having all, being ruled by our emotions. And then what are we doing? We, we murder our own brothers, uh, verbally. We murder them through gossip and slander. Friends, the body of Christ was not meant to do that. That's why Paul brings so many corrections about gossip and slander and, 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 and all these type of things. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22. He says, anger in the heart is murder. And in verse 21, he says, have you, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders, you will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What is he saying? Friends, if you have anger towards a brother and sister, it's, come on, it's time to make that right. Amen. Deal with that. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to, to give it over to him. But man, if you're offended, the scripture says in Matthew 18, go to that person. Don't come to me. Don't, don't blast it on Facebook. Don't, don't uh, tell your prayer partner about it. Go to the person directly. If you've got, you got a problem with somebody, go to them about it. For the most part, 
From my personal experience, when people hurt each other's feelings, it wasn't intentional. Sometimes we just let stupid things slip out of our mouth. I'm king of that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you ain't men in my... It's true. But it's true, though. Anytime I've hurt somebody's feelings, it wasn't, it wasn't because I, I, I don't love the person. It's because I allowed a moment of weakness to dictate my mouth. Right? Come on here. James gives us a good outline of the progression of sin. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Matthew. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. This is the, this is the amazing thing. I love, I love the book of James because, man, he has all of these analogies and all of these typologies and all of these pictures. He talks about, you know, taming our tongue and like being like a rudder that steers a whole ship. And then he gives this whole progression on how sin and, and how it develops and then what the end result is. And it's only in two verses. And it's verse 13 and 14, or excuse me, three verses, 13, 14, 15. And it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. <laughs> For God cannot tempt, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, what does that do? We cannot give an excuse. We can't say it's God that's doing this, and we can't say, well, the devil is tempting me. Well, yeah, maybe he is. But this is the thing, and this, he gets right into it. It says, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desires and enticed. So when you're tempted, it's because there's your own desire inside to have that. Are you getting this? Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. I love the, like the picture of this. And when sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Do you see this kind of picture? That it, we don't just automatically just go into sin. No, there was this progression where it was this desire in our mind or our heart. And then we kind of fed into it. The desire turned into uh, uh, where it enticed us and and uh, kind of made us. Have you ever have you ever um, not been hungry and then all of a sudden you walked into a place where there was the, the aroma of food and all of a sudden you weren't hungry but then all of a sudden you smell that food and all of a sudden your mouth gets watery and you start getting hungry. Have you ever had that happen? If you've never had that happen, it's one of the most amazing things in the world. <laughs> Because you're, you're, you're just minding your own business and you walk into a place or, or, or maybe you're walking past a restaurant and then all of a sudden that smell comes and then you didn't even have your mind on food but then all of a sudden you get hungry. What happened? There was this, there was this, this thing that, that tapped into one of your senses that caused your mind to trigger now you're hungry. You weren't even thinking about it at first. That's kind of how sin is. It like triggers this appetite inside of us. And then what happens? Now you can just ignore that. That's not sin. Okay, obviously eating is not sin, but just for the case in point, you can take that desire and go home and eat or go into the restaurant or whatever, or, or perhaps you're already in the place and you're going to be eating already. So you can go ahead and give in to that, or you can ignore that and, and move along. Now that's not, that's not where it becomes sin. It, it doesn't become sin until we act on it. Because it triggers, that, it triggers that passion inside of us, and then we end up acting on it. And it says, after desire has conceived, remember desire, it gives birth to sin, that's the action. And when sin is fully developed, when you continue to give in to sin, and continue to give to sin, continue to give in to sin, okay, the, the full outcome of that is death. 
So friends, we, uh, Cain gave in to his own evil desires, and the consequences was the death of his brother. Right? God intervened and said, I, man, son, I see, I see this desire in your heart. You have to master it. You have the ability to do it. But if, but if you don't, if you, it's in it at the door, you must master it. And he gave fully into it, and what happened? The death of his brother is what happened. Friends, God wants to turn from our sinful attitudes, actions, and thoughts today. Friends, if you want to turn away from some sinful attitudes and actions, then today's the day to do it. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to live like a hero. I want to live like Abel, who stood in right standing before God, even though he had a short life. He had a life that was pleasing to him. Scripture, scripture even says this. talks about the blood. I'm going to close on this. Hebrews talks about this. It says, it says, or God told Cain, He said, the blood of your brother cries out. And then in Hebrews it says that the blood of, Cain, the blood of Abel cries out, but there is now another blood that speaks louder than Abel's blood. And what blood is that? It's the blood of Christ. And friends, the Lord wants to cover us with His blood. He wants to cleanse us with that. So that we can walk uprightly. That's the only way we can walk uprightly, friends. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Earlier today, I invited a, I invited a bunch of people to come up, and so I'm not going to do that again. But if you're in here today, and you and you can do a, a good self-examination, not elbowing the person that's next to you saying, you need to hear this. Elbow yourself and say, I need to hear this. And would you just take, just take a moment, if you can close your eyes with me, and just ask yourself, are there tendencies like Cain in, in my life? Do I find myself being jealous, envious, having bitterness, anger, resentment towards the ones that the Lord has called my brother and sister. Jesus said we all, we're all brothers. He said we have one father. You are all brothers. Same father, different mama. The Bible says that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Friends, he is on assignment on a daily basis. It, it, it saddens my heart to see good people being snuffed out by, by, by the wickedness of the enemy and by his evil schemes. And so, friends, today, just ask yourself, say, say Lord, am I, am I offering you something that's half-hearted? Am I offering you something lightly? Or, Lord, am I offering you the, the offering like Abel? We're talking about heroes and zeros. And God, I want to be a hero of the story that you've written about my life. God, I don't want to be the villain. I don't want to find myself doing things that destroy people's lives. Father, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. So Father, today, again, I surrender my heart to you. God, I surrender my life to you. God, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you, God. And so just for, just for a few more moments, would you just respond to God? Just respond to Him. 
Ask Him, say, Lord, what would you have of me to do for you? What is it in my life that's separating me from you? Just let Him speak that. I, I come up with all kinds of ideas, but I believe it's so much more powerful when, when the Lord puts some things on our heart. Perhaps, man, there's a negative relationship that you have that, man, the Lord is saying, if you really want to grow in me, you need to cut that off. Perhaps there's an addiction or a habit that you have that, man, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really destroying you. And the Lord's saying, will you be willing to give this over to me? Father, we just thank you, God, that you give power to say no. God, you've given us the ability to say no to ungodliness, the authority to break chains and bondages and mindsets off of our life. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, we command, God, every lie of the enemy, God, every wrong thinking, God, every deception to be broken off of our heart and our mind. God, I thank you that you'd break every generational curse in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that you'd break every addiction in the house of God right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that you would bring healing and restoration to hearts in this house. God, that we would have hearts that are full. God, that are whole, that are healthy in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for bro- for restoring every area of brokenness in your son's and your daughter's life today. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for giving us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. To live uprightly. God, to live, uh, to be men of, of valor. God, to be, God, women of purity. God, to be men and women that, God, that we, uh, Lord, we want to be uh, uh, honest. God, and have integrity. Lord, we want to live lives that are pleasing to you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you would give us the ability to do everything your scripture teaches us to walk in. And, God, we thank you that there is going to be joy and peace. God, there's going to be fullness. God, there's going to be great blessing. God, there's going to be anointing. There's power. Lord Jesus, there's benefits from living for you and saying yes to you. God, and it's a full life because your word says that you came to give life and that to the full. So, Lord, we thank you for extending full life to every person. God, willing to take this incredible risk forward to say yes to you every day. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Friends, God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face towards you. And may He give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Friends, God